Welcome to the Declaration Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. We pray that today's message encourages you and blesses you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit us at declaration.org. All right, everybody. How's everybody doing today? You doing good? Well, let me remind you really quickly, it wasn't in the uh, video announcements, but on March the 8th, which is a Sunday evening, it's the Sunday that we launch into spring break. What a great time to do this. We're going to be having a prayer and worship service right here at six o'clock. It's called Northgate 2020. It's going to be a great time. Um, The staff and I went to a meeting this last week about that, and they're telling us that that about probably between 100 and 150 different people, possibly up to 200 different people are going to be traveling to and from these different nights of prayer and worship as we pray over our city. And so, man, I would love to invite you to be a part of that. It's going to be a really, really great night. And the best thing is it's spring break, so we don't have to pack up. We can pray and walk out. Amen? The Lord is good. All right. Well, March the 8th, 6 o'clock. We have been in this series called Gifted Now for the last few weeks where we've been discussing spiritual gifts or, or what I think better called gifts of the Spirit and gifts bestowed upon us um, because of our faith in Jesus Christ and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us as a promise. John 14, 16, we saw that. We see the Holy Spirit as our counselor, our comforter, our guide, our advocate, our friend, and also um, the person of God that, that provides resurrection power. Come on, somebody. He provides resurrection power in our lives, calling us and, um, and also providing in us that abundant life. As we see in Galatians 5, we, we, he provides love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the Holy Spirit's a very important part of our Christian walk in life, in existence. And so we, we, we now are kind of focused in on these gifts of the Spirit where he equips us and empowers us through these gifts that he's giving us. And a spiritual gift by definition, if I can give that to you, is a divine ability or an enablement given to those who have received Christ. Um, we saw this in week one, a charism, um, basically charisma in the Greek, a gift freely bestowed. It might also be called a gracelet, which I like definition of that, is a droplet of the vast ocean of God's grace poured upon you. It's a tangible expression of God's grace in a person's life in the form of a capacity or an ability um, that, that, you know, and it's in a way that surpasses human ability or human understanding. It's supernatural. We saw in week one that spiritual gifts or gifts given to us by God, they are for today and they are for us in a way. He gave us these gifts of the Spirit so that when we are proclaiming the gospel, it would be a validation of its authenticity. It would be a validation of its truth. In other words, the gifts of the Spirit validated the truth of God. Anytime you see this in Scripture, anytime you see Jesus preaching, it's always, it's always word plus deed. It was, it was, I'm going to proclaim this, and then there's going to be acts of power to validate this, if that makes sense. We see this in Hebrews 2.4. For those of us that are like, ah, that feels a little uncomfortable, let me show you biblically. Hebrews 2.4, and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever and whenever he chose. See, it's God's prerogative. It's, it's God's prerogative. He pours out as he desires, 
So these spiritual gifts or these gifts of the Spirit authenticated the truth of the gospel message. We also see that miracles, signs, and wonders are to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. Again, word plus works, proclamation plus power. Scripture tells us that signs should accompany. Look at a neighbor and say, should. They should accompany those who believe in Jesus, not just those who are deciding to walk in some weird religious way, right? Not just those who are deciding to be in, in some sort of ministry. It's, it's these signs should accompany those who believe in Jesus. Now, let me show you biblically. Mark chapter 16, starting in 17 through 20. It says, these miraculous signs, what does that word say? Will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak a new language. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Now, I know this sounds supernatural. It sounds even creepy a little bit, but it should be expected. It should be expected. We should know this is one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples before his ascension, right after the resurrection. One of the last things he said before he ascended to the right hand of God and sat down was this. Hey, these things will accompany those who believe. Verse 19, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples, what did they do? They went everywhere and they decided to sit down and form little country club churches that were comfortable for everybody, put a lot of programs together so marriages would be good and kids would be happy. And that's not what it says. It says they, that they proclaimed, they preached, and then the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Word and deed. You see it? So this tells us, no matter what we may think, no matter what even may be comfortable feeling to us, or no matter what we believed in the past about the Holy Spiritual or, or spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts are deeply important to the Christian life. They're important to us and they're important in us. They're, they're important in the life of a Christian, at least according to Jesus and according to Paul. This brings me to our theme verse for the series, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, where Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, regarding your question about the spiritual abilities, gifts of the Spirit, um, I want you to understand it. I don't want you to misunderstand. Paul knew that misunderstanding could be caused for misdirection or misfire. It could, it could cause confusion, misuse. We've seen some of this in the modern church today. And much like the church in Corinth, we've seen some misunderstanding. We've seen some misuse. We've seen some abuse of spiritual gifts in the church. Maybe we've had questions about it, much like these in Corinth that asked Paul, would you give us some clarity? Um, may, maybe there are some today that believe that gifts were really only for the first century Christians. Um, some believe that gifts have ceased. It's called cessationism, which is a belief that upon completion of the New Testament or the canon, um, we no longer needed spiritual gifts to authenticate the truth of the gospel message or even to build up or encourage the church, which, again, when we holistically look at the reason for the signs, miracles, wonders, and gifts, then we've got to ask ourselves some bigger questions. It, it, it's not just about the authentication. It's also about the building up and the encouraging and the edifying of the body, Right? So therefore, gifts are, th th these, these that would believe in this, this, this line of thinking, this, this stream of theology, this cessationism, their, their gifts are unnecessary. They've ceased. That's what they believe. Now, I spent a lot of time in week one explaining our biblical, or my biblical stance, our biblical stance on why I believe 
That is to be a false narrative. And I encourage you, please go back and listen to that podcast if you were not here, because I think that that is a critical and foundational um, issue, if you will, to the life of a believer. So as we get into today's topic, let me summarize 1 Corinthians 12 for us as I believe it leads us exactly to where we're heading. Now, remember in 1 Corinthians 12, we spent some time in this last week. Paul begins, he doesn't want the people or the church in Corinth to, to be uninformed or confused. He know they had a spiritual awareness as well as this backdrop of paganism to compare this life of Christ against. He emphasizes the importance of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse three. He says, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul then discovers, or he discusses the differences, if you will, in gifts and, and services and, he, and all these things given to each and every person for the common good, he says in verse seven, or for the health, for the well-being, for the building up of the church. This is part of the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and then Paul emphasizes it's the same Holy Spirit who distributes, who, who bestows these gifts that are given to us by God. He then um, gives some different examples of some of these gifts. Starting in verse eight, he talks about wisdom and knowledge. In verse nine, he goes into faith and healing and miracles. Um, maybe your translation says miraculous powers, prophecy, verse 10. Um, he talks about tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, if I can, if I may, just for a minute, can I just talk about that one gift right there, tongues, just for a little bit. Side note, all right, it's for free, but I feel like it's important. Um, because see, I said this in week one, and I would like to say it again. Most people don't have an issue with spiritual gifts. They just have some skepticism over gift <laughs> or a couple of gifts, right? And so I want to just talk about tongues, for example. This gift, tongues, does not have to be spooky or weird, and I want to show you why. In fact, um, all gifts are from a good God who gives good gifts. Therefore, we should not look at any of the good gifts of God to be spooky or weird. So let me demystify it just a bit, um, and I want you to think about Genesis 11. If you've got your Bible, you can go there. I'm not going to take you through it, but you can mark it and go back and read it later because I'm kind of going to walk you through the story, and I want you to just consider the dispersion of languages at the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel. Now, here we see descendants of Noah living in Babylon in a land named Shinar, and these people in this time, they decide to, to, to build this tall, proud symbol of how great they had made their nation. Look what they had advanced to, right? So they decide to build this tower that's going to reach to the heavens so that they could be like God and that they, that they would just basically show how powerful they had become. Really what they're saying is we don't really need God. And so they're building this big tower, and that's exactly what they do. And God didn't like the pride and arrogance in the hearts of these people. P.S., he still doesn't like pride and arrogance, just so you know. And so what did God do? He creates and causes these people to suddenly speak all these different languages. So he just disperses them so they can't communicate to work together to finish building this tower of pride any longer. See, he, he didn't want them to be so consumed by their self-reliance that they had forgot that the entirety of their existence was because of God and God alone. Now, this caused the people to scatter all across the land, and the tower was then called the Tower of Babel because the word Babel means confusion. I don't know if you've seen the new app that, that helps you. It's like the new Rosetta Stone for millennials called Babel. It helps you learn other languages, interestingly enough, Right? It's a powerful story and a reminder to us of just how important it is to obey God's word and to not think that we can build a successful godless life on our own. 
But then what happens in Pentecost in Acts 2? I want you to think about it. When the Holy Spirit comes, look at this, verse 4. I'll show it to you. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in what? Other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, that's not shocking because we already know that there's a bunch of different language. What God had once confused, he's going to now watch. He's going to bring it back together. He's going to redeem it and restore it. Look at verse five. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they had heard the loud noise, which was the sound of the rushing wind, the beginning of chapter two, the beginning of the entrance of the Holy Spirit upon what would become the church, everyone comes running and it says they are bewildered to hear their own language is being spoken by the believers. Now, what a picture of God's restoring power here. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in their own native languages or tongues. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, um, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. Look at what it says. And all we all hear these people speaking in their own languages, and they're understanding, and they're speaking about the wonderful things that God has done. Wow, we all clearly hear them declaring the greatness of God. How is this? See, church, what what God had once scattered, he now gathers. God uses this gift of tongues through the Holy Spirit to validate and authenticate the truth of who he is. I can't tell you how many stories when I can get past my own um, judgment, if I can just repent, when I can get past my own judgment, I can't tell you how many stories where someone was in a service and they just began to speak of uh, 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 this tongue, if you will, and someone across the room heard it and they understood and no one even knew what that dialect was except that one person who heard it and understood and they gave their life to Jesus in that moment. So see, there is a time and a place and Paul gives us the function of how these things should operate. It's not anything we should be afraid of. In fact, if it's a gift of God, it's something that we should eagerly desire just as we will see in a minute that we saw last week. And it's something that should be put into practice in a healthy church in an orderly manner by which Paul describes. And so it's nothing that has to be spooky. So I hope that that kind of demystifies some of it just a little bit. But look at the last two verses, because sadly, there's always some who will try and explain it away or excuse it in some way. Look what happens. Now, understand that the New Testament church is being born. God has just done a supernatural miracle where, where we see like flames hanging above people's heads, and all these people are speaking in different languages, and they're understanding one another. Look at verse 12. They're, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they ask each other. But others in the crowd, what do they do? They ridicule them, saying, oh, they're just drunk, that's all. And how many times have we been guilty where the Bible says, do not, do not despise prophetic utterances? Do not, do not despise tongues. How many times have we, have we been guilty of ridicule just saying, oh, they're just drunk, that's all, in some way, form, or fashion? So, so see what God had scattered at Babel, he brings back together at Pentecost. The gift of tongues doesn't have to be spooky, scary, weird. It, it, we just need to understand this gift better. Because what God, because what God used at Pentecost, watch this, to unite, sadly, the enemy has used for years in the church to divide. But let's say that stops today as we consider his word, all right? 
Speaking of unity, back to our summary of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul discusses unity in verse 12, emphasizing that we are all unique, important parts to the body, the body of Christ, and that that this should be our perspective. Each and every one of us carries something. God has placed something within each and every one of us that is so deeply valuable and important to one another. That's what we spent so much time talking about last week. Um, We're all necessary for the well-being of the church, the body. We're all baptized by one Holy Spirit, verse 13. We see that, for we were all baptized, uh, uh, some of us Jews, some Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one Holy Spirit, and we all share in that same spirit. Even so, verse 14, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then we see in verses 15 through 18, it proceeds to do away with arguments of comparison or or feelings of inadequacy, depending on your role in the body, saying that you are exactly who God created you to be, necessary in every way and important to the body of Christ. Paul wraps up chapter 12 with further language supporting unity and care for one another has important and necessary parts to the body. And look what he says in verse 26. He says, if one part suffers, then we all suffer with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. To summarize last week, we need each other. Without each other, we aren't complete. This means what happens to you happens to me, right? This means when you win, I win. When you hurt, I hurt. And it just goes all across the room in this way. When you see victory, I see victory. When you grieve, I grieve. Um, When you're healthy, I'm healthy. When you were down, I'm down. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part's honored, every part rejoices. Now, you are the body of Christ, verse 27, and each and every one of you are part of it. In verse 31, Paul instructs us as he closes this chapter by saying, now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire these greater gifts. That includes the spooky, scary things that we all kind of are skeptical of. We should eagerly desire these things. We're told by Paul to pursue them, to desire them, to pray for them, to ask for these gifts of the Spirit, to seek God for them. Why? Because gifts are from God and gifts are for today. And as we've been studying, God has apportioned the gift or gifts to each and every one of us to use on purpose There is a purpose for us. We need each other. We're all part of this. But like last week, we said, we're not the point of this. God has a plan and a purpose for us. And he invites us to join him, to be on commission with him. And I talked about that last week. I said, I was going to tell you a little bit more about that this week. And here we go. And I'm excited about it. I looked into that word commission, not just because of God's great commission that we see in the Bible that is important in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, it says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands, not just a few, not just some, not just the Baptist ones or the Methodist ones or the Episcopal. No, all the commands that I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Very important. That's the great commission that Jesus gave us. But honestly, I got really fired up just thinking about what it said in Ephesians 2. God inviting us to join him. I'm going to show you the the words from the message. It says, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does, the good work that he has gotten ready for you, for us to do, that the things that he planned in advance before he even created us to do. And then Paul says, work you better be doing. (laughs) And here's what I found commission to mean. Three definitions. Number one, commission. A formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. Now, that makes some sense when you start to think of the words of Jesus, the commandments of Jesus, and how we are to respond, how we are to act, how we are to live. Second definition, 
and authorization or command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. Well, that makes some sense as well. How many times Jesus gave commands? We're going to see just a few here in a minute. And he's saying, hey, here, I'm authorizing you based upon the authority I have to do these things. But look at this last one, because I love this one. This is, this is powerful. Look at this definition. Authority to, to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. Man, that is the definition right there that I think that we all need to write down to understand not just who, but also what we have in Christ, the identity he has called us to, the commission that he has called us to, the joining in the work that he has for us to do. As we join with him, he's saying, hey, I'm giving you authority to act for in behalf of me or in place of me. I'm gonna show you what that means. Don't let that be, don't let that sound weird. It's like Jesus' disciples that we see in the gospels. We too are given authority to speak, act, and operate on his behalf. And it's powerful. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Just so you understand, Luke chapter 9 and 10 is what got me in trouble as a student when I started reading this and asking questions because I was raised to believe that every word in this Bible is inerrant and from cover to cover we believe it. And I still believe that way. But when I started stumbling into verses like this, I started going, what does this mean? It's very uncomfortable, um, at least to, to some traditions. And, and, and I readily recognize it. It was uncomfortable for me, and I had to look at it. But look at Luke 9, 1 and 2. It says, one day, Jesus calls his 12 together, his disciples, and he gives them the power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, so Jesus gathers his 12 and he says, guys, here's the deal. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here with you. I'm going to send somebody. But in my absence, I'll always be with you. But you're going to have some skin in this game. There's some things that you're going to need to do. So he calls him and he says, I'm going to give you the power and the authority to do these things in my name. You've seen me model this. You've seen me, this has been my ministry for the last three years. Proclaim the kingdom and then operate in the power. And I'm going to give this to you. Now we see a similar message and command in Luke chapter 10 as Jesus sends out now the 72. He gives them authority and he tells them some of the same things. Look at it, Luke 10, 9, 8, and 9. He says, if you end it now, I would say just read all of Luke 10 because it's awesome, but I'm just gonna highlight these two. It says, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever it sets before you. And then it says in 9, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. The kingdom of God is near you. And after he gives a few more instructions, look what he tells his followers after this charge to represent him and minister as he ministers. He says in verse 16, he says to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. You see it? He's given this authority. He's given this authority for us to represent in behalf of himself. That the things that we are living into and doing as a believer, as a follower, as a disciple of Christ in his name, through his Holy Spirit, empowered by his spirit, using the gifts that he has given us, that it would validate the truth of who he is. And it would set people free because everywhere the kingdom goes, the kingdom grows. Do you see it? 
Could it be that Jesus is just as serious about his followers today, living into the authority, power, and gifting as he was when he spoke to the 12 and when he spoke to the 72 and sent them out? Could it be that he desires for us to take these gifts and this authority that he has given to us as we walk in the identity that he has called us to walk in and minister today just as he ministered back then? Could it be that we are to imitate him, to reflect him, to be a fragrant aroma? See, God gives us gifts to point back to the truth of who he is. We are to be on commission with him, joining with him, using the gifts he's given to us to be ministers on mission. Now remember, spiritual gifts are given for cooperation, not for competition or comparison. We are to cooperate with God. We are to join with God. God invites us to be on this commission to join him. He saves us, he calls us, he empowers us, he gives us to accomplish these assignments that he has created us for. And and I want you to think about that for just a minute. Think about that. He, He has called you, he has saved you, he's empowered you, he's gifted you for assignments that he had in his heart before he even created you. Man, what a privilege that I hope that we see this is. This is a privilege that we get to be a representation of God to a world in need of hope. It's a privilege. Not only has he saved us, called us, empowered us, and gifted us, but he's authorized us. He's given us authority to perform these prescribed acts. We are to do even greater things than he did according to John 14, 12. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And he says, and even greater works, even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. See, we are to imitate him, his message, his ministry, his life, his love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. And look what it says in verse 2 because it's going to tee us up where we're heading. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We are to imitate him and who he is and what he did, what he does. We are to be a pleasing aroma to God and to the world. 2 Corinthians 2.15, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. So that is our job, to be a Christ-like fragrance. How do we do that? By imitating him. How do we do that? By living into the identity he's called us to live into, by using the gifts that he's given to us, by eagerly desiring the greater gifts, praying for more, by being a person of prayer, but also a person of proclamation, but also a person of power. That's how we begin to do these things. Can I just sum it up like this? By being obedient to him. By being obedient to him. Now, I'm thinking about this stuff. I'm thinking about all this right now and where Jesus says, you're gonna do even greater works. Imitate me, be a pleasing aroma. Man, is that who we are being? Is that who you are being in your home, in your workplace? Is that, is that who you are being when no one's around? When it's just you, yourself, and God, is that who you are being? Are you desiring this type of relationship, not only with God, but also understanding the relationship with God so that you can understand and relate to the world in the way you were called and created to relate to the world? We are to join with God on commission, equipped and empowered by him, gifted. That's why we say we should expect to be empowered 
for purpose. Paul finishes 1 Corinthians 12, 31 by saying, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. These are two ideas that I believe go together. They could feel like they're not together, but they do. He says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. I'll show you why in just a minute. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I'm going to show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 in the NLT, just so you can hear it differently. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. See, it has some purpose there. And he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Best of all. Which takes us right into where I want us to look today for a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Look what it says. Paul says this, after he says all these things, right? He's given you all these things about parts of the body and gifts. And he says this, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, Paul here shifts the focus of his message from meaning to motivation, it's the first thing I really want you to, 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 to take home. Our, motiv- our, our motivation must be love in all things. It must be love. We, we must be led by love. We've got to be motivated by love. Paul is saying, now that I've given you the what and the why, hear me say this. He says, if I could speak every language of earth and heaven, if I could have every gift of, of the spirit, but I did not operate out of love, nothing would matter. It would all be just but noise. Our motivation and our purpose, our motivation behind our spiritual gifts must be love, period. Loving others, serving others, building others up. It's why it's so important for us to also remember that our gifts of the Spirit are not for competition or comparison, but for cooperation. God gave us those gifts to complement one another, not criticize each other. We should not look over the fence at some other type of church or denomination and speak ill of what they are doing and who they are as they are trying to work out their own salvation in fear of trivialing. We are to cooperate because we are one church. We are to to love them and pray for them. We're not to criticize or compete or compare. And I'll say this, it is hard to criticize, compete, and compare ourselves against one another when we love each other in such a way that we genuinely want to see the kingdom win. It's hard to. I think Paul's serious in his encouragement of our motivation. 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but if I didn't love, it'd be a noisy symbol. If we want our lives to truly reflect that of Jesus, we must love like Jesus. We got to operate out of a heart for others. That's the second thing. Just like the first, very much similar to the same point, just different words. We got to operate out of a heart for others. We got to love people so much that we operate of that heart. That's got to be the, the, our motivation. He goes on, verse 2. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, and I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, just, just crazy generous and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love people, man, I'd gain nothing. See, emphatically, Paul's telling these believers at Corinth, and he's telling us, if love isn't our motivation, if we aren't moved out of and operating out of love for the sake of others, it's all rendered pointless. It becomes only noise and gains us nothing. The gifts of God would be rendered pointless if we miss the point. See, Paul goes on to describe what our love should look like. And we know this famous passage, we've heard it at all the weddings, right? (laughs) But he goes right in. 
Now, understand, but, but I, I'm doing this because I really want you to see context of why he's going here, right? He's giving instructions to the church. We started seeing that in 12, and it's going all the way through 14. And, and, and right here in the middle of it, he's saying, if I do all these things, if I possess all these things, if I have all these things, if I operate in all these ways, if I give all this, if I serve till I can serve no more, but it's not out of the motivation of love, it is pointless. And then he says, well, love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful and proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. And right here, Paul is speaking to what's going on in that culture and then ties it back to spiritual gifts. Verse eight, he goes right in. Prophecy and speaking is unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. He's saying love is eternal. Love is God. God is love. When we reflect God, we reflect love. When we act on behalf of God, we act on behalf of love. It's eternal. It's like the very nature of God. It's the character of God. It's who God is. It's the best descriptor of God. It's eternal. Love lasts forever, where one day there will be no need for these gifts that we possess here on this earth any longer. When all is said and done, we're all perfected, we're all glorified. I'm hoping to have a very good 20-year-old glorified body, not a 45-year-old one. Let's go on. That's free. Verse 9 says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. See, when the time of perfect comes, meaning when Jesus returns, love will still be. In fact, forever we will be with love. Forever we will be with love manifest to the fullest for eternity. When I was a child, Paul says, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, but then, when the perfect comes, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, Paul says. Three things will be eternal, remain eternal, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We must be motivated out of love. We must operate out of love. In fact, it's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Matthew 22, starting in 36, we see it. Teacher, they say, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus simply replies, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The world needs to see a church operating in their gifts and motivated by love for God and love for each other. Did y'all hear that? Paul begins chapter 14, continuing the same thought process. And this is why I said what I said last week, which some people might disagree with. Because for years, there's... Theology that's taught that says the greater gifts really is faith, hope, and love. That's what they are. That's the greater gifts. Dismiss all of the things that Paul spoke of in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, the greatest gifts are faith, hope, and love. But watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, which is why I say, no, the greater gifts are exactly what Paul described them to be. 
and faith, hope, and love are eternal. Watch what he says. He says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. See it? Paul distinguishes the two. It's just like when I started, I said, these things feel like two separate entities, but they're really part of the same. Paul spoke of it in another verse in two different ways, and now he comes back in 14.1. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives. Listen, church, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit are important. They are important. They're important to the life of the believer. They're important to the health of the church. In fact, I'm gonna tell you how I've been praying for us as a church. I have been praying that just like we had those those paper snowflakes that day. You remember that just a few weeks ago? I've been praying that God would begin to pour down either his spiritual gifts or the knowledge that you should gain of the spiritual gifts he's given you because we need your gifts operating in this church to be all that God created this church to be. We need your gifts operating for us to be a healthy church. Healthy churches aren't just churches that have people sitting in in, in chairs and, and nickels sitting in a bank account. That's not a healthy church. A healthy church is a church where the people of God realize they're empowered by God, walking in the authority of God, living in a world, not of the world, but impacting the world, bringing the kingdom into every part of the world that they walk into. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the healthy. That's the healthy. The world needs to see a church operating in their gifts and motivated by love for God and love for one another. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire these things. And let me just go so far as lovingly as I can and say this. If you don't desire these things, you you probably need to start asking God what's wrong with your heart. And I say that as lovingly as I can. If, 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 you, if you want to kind of be sandpaper against the word of God on this and say, well, that's not what Brother Bob said in 1973, then I would encourage you, man, for real, begin to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal truth to me? I am completely open all the time. I don't want you to take my word for this. I want you to get in the word and see it. That's why painstakingly I give you 60 slides sometimes to show you the scriptures. So that you can see this is not just from John's first opinion, chapter 13. There's a lot of chapters in that book, by the way. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, listen, this is important. If you, are not, if you are in the house and you're like, this is not for me, I don't need to serve. Somebody else will do that. I don't need to give. Somebody else will do that. I don't need to walk in authority. That's not my thing. That sounds weird. I don't need these gifts. I'm fine. If that's you, man, I, I'm just going to pray right now that the dry bones that you're walking with that God would breathe on you and you would come alive. Because we need that. The world needs that. Can I say this? Your family needs that. Wife, your husband needs that. Husband, your wife needs that. And can I say this? Your kids need that. Your kids desperately need that. This generation, desperate. I mean, it is desperate in need. It's not in need of new rules. It's not in need of new... This this generation's in need of an empowered bride of Christ walking in power, using the gifts God's given them. Hey, you want to know what your teenager's doing? Don't look at their cell phone. Pray for discernment of the spirits. Pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to give you that discernment to where... I'm going to tell you right now, this woman down here scares me to death sometimes because God will tell her things. And she will know when something's 
not, if it's kind of off a little bit with it in our home, before I even see it coming, she's already hearing it. She's seeing it. That's what I'm saying. Pray for that type of discernment. God, give me discernment in this way. I don't need to check their text message. I, 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 can, I can feel their heart right now. I can feel what's going on underneath the surface. I don't need to read their mail. I don't need to see their face because God is he's speaking to me in the secret place telling me you better contend on behalf of your children. You see it? The gifts are important. They're important to each of us. They're important to the life of the church, being all that God designed and desired it to be. They're important to the health of the church. They're important to the world. Jesus spoke with them. Paul spoke with them. And even after so eloquently teaching us about motivation and operation, he comes back to this. Let love be your highest goal, (laughs) but desire these greater gifts, these special abilities the Spirit gives. Love and greater gifts of the Spirit are undeniably connected. So as we close, let me just ask a few questions. Do we know the spiritual gift or gifts that God has given us. You know, you probably get tired of hearing my my broken record inviting you to be a part of small groups and growth track, but that's exactly why those things are there. (laughs) Because we know that in community of small groups, you're gonna learn and grow. We know that in growth track, you're gonna gonna be given the opportunity in, in step two to take a spiritual gift assessment test and God will begin to show you how he's uniquely created you to find your role in the body of Christ. Do you know your spiritual gift or gifts that God's given? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Can I just be really transparent and say this, man? I, I get worried sometimes that I sound like I'm coming across angry, and I'm not. I hope that you don't hear it that way. But I grew up for so long, and I knew God the Father, and I knew God the Son, but I didn't know the Holy Spirit. One of, one, of, one of the driving factors of, of Kelly and me saying yes to planting this church was the prayer that, God, you would raise this church up so that when kids begin to be young, they begin to understand and know who Holy Spirit is. Because if I felt like if I was walking in the Spirit of God when I was a teenager, things would have been different. Anybody else? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Holy? Are we walking in the authority and the power that God has, that Jesus died to give to us? Do we understand who we are and what we have in Christ? Are we representing Jesus well? Are we, are we imitating him? Are we living obedient to his commands? Even those things that he says will accompany those who believe, praying and believing God for things like healing, etc. Being okay, not trying to... <laughs> not trying to give God it out when he doesn't answer the way we ask him to immediately. God is God. It's his prerogative. He gives as he desires. Do we pray in the spirit? You know, I see that in Ephesians where Paul says, pray in the spirit often, always. And it stopped me in my tracks once because I'm like, I, I, need, I need to be praying about that. Have we sought after the gifts? Even the power gifts that we can be skeptical, skeptical, uh, even the ones the enemy wants us to think don't exist or spooky. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of, of angels, but didn't love others, it would only be a noisy, clanging symbol, noisy gong or clanging symbol. Are we? Here's the question, and here's the title of our sermon today. Is your life a symbol? S-Y-M? Or is your life a symbol? C-Y-M? Are you imitating Christ? Are you reflecting him? 
Are you a living representation, a symbol of who he is? Or is it a noisy symbol? Is it, I want to serve you and I want to use my life in such a way um, to see others come to know Jesus? Is it, God, I surrender, I'm willing. Or or do we find ourselves caught up in religion? Do we find ourselves caught up in tradition? Do we find ourselves caught up saying all the right things with our lips, but... Go ahead, Jeremy. What is it? When, When we walk into a room, do people immediately feel the atmosphere shift because we're walking with Jesus and... And the Holy Spirit is present and with us. Or is it, go ahead, Jeremy. You see what I'm saying? Are you a symbol, S-Y-M? Or is your life a symbol, C-Y-M? That's the question today. As we close, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I want to do something a little different. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13 one more time. And I I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to do something a little different. Listen to, what, listen to what Paul says. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Now, as we read the next four verses... Go ahead to that next slide, if you will. 1 Corinthians 4. See where there's a blank? Everywhere where there's a blank, I want you to say your name out loud, and let's read it together, all right? Here we go. John should be patient and kind. John should not be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. John should not demand his or her own way. Come on, a little louder. John should not be irritable or should keep no record of being wrong. Let's go to the next one. John should not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. John should never give up, never lose faith, and should always be hopeful and endure through every circumstance. You know why I'm saying this? It's because your life is to be a symbol of the manifest love of God. That's why. It should be our motivation. That we can be an accurate symbol, an accurate representation, instead of an annoying Clanging. Go ahead and give us one more good hit there. I know I'm messing up the vibe, but are we a symbol of Christ to the watching world or are we just a noisy symbol? Let's pray. Father, move in us in ways only you can. Move in us in ways only you can. I'm gonna invite you, church. If you feel led and comfortable today and you want to begin to pursue these greater gifts of the Spirit. Paul tells us, would you just kind of hold your hands out as if you're going to receive something? And would you just pray right now, God, here I am. Here I am. I eagerly seek after everything that you have for me, God. If it's you, if it's from you, and if it's for me, I want it, God. I want everything that you have, all that I can handle. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.